morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Good to see you. There's normally a chair up here, but somebody took it from me. I'm going to need it today, I think. Um, hey, I'm glad that you are here. Very glad that you are here. Um, we have been working through this series called Follow, and it's pretty straightforward. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you follow Jesus. But there's some reasons that we want to explore why Jesus is captivating. Like, why for thousands of years people have been like, you know, this guy's got something, there's a little something extra going on here. And we've been talking about that over the last couple weeks. Um, But I wanted to start off today with a little bit of a different question. And the question is this, what is God like? What is God like? Pretty basic, pretty straightforward. But I really enjoy watching movies uh, and reading books and TV shows that have someone that portrays God because it's kind of interesting to hear, see what other people think God is like. What is God like? So, I mean, if you've ever, you've watched movies, right? You've all seen a movie called Bruce Almighty, and in in this case, God is uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, and he introduces himself to Jim Carrey's character as a uh, janitor, which I think is kind of a nice touch. That's kind of seems like something that God might do, really unassuming. Uh, you know, he came as a baby, or when he was resurrected, he introduced himself to Mary uh, as just a guy that was trimming hedges, basically hiding behind a bush. I, I kind of think God might do something like that. And Morgan Freeman really makes a, like a, a, an authentic kind of God. I mean, everything he says seems wise, and now he's gone on to narrate a bunch of stuff. It just seems like God's voice might sound something like Morgan Freeman. Uh, this goes way back, so some of you may remember this, but there was a guy named George Burns that played in a series of movies uh, that, where he played God, and he was, you know, short little guy. Again, kind of unassuming, glasses and a baseball cap. Uh, If you've seen the movie, I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but if you've, (laughs) he's God, Uh, but he had his, um, his business card is just this white blank business card that says God on it that he gives to people. I, th- I think that's kind of, uh, kind of clever. Um, most of the time if you see movies that God has some sort of smiled British accent, because I think that if you say most things in a British accent, it sounds like it's got more credibility than if you say it. Like, you know, rarely do you see God as like a deep South Southerner. Nothing against you deep South Southerners. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like, you know, God would be like, hey, y'all, you got to be, you know, whatever, doing whatever. It just doesn't seem like God would do that. Um, now, in art, when it came to art, most people kind of for, for centuries avoided, oh, thank you, Travis. You never know. This will work. Thanks. If I get tired, I'm just going to take a seat here. Um, for centuries, most of the people uh, avoided depicting God. Because you remember, there's this little commandment near the top of the list of commandments that says, don't make an image of God. So most of the time, they would paint like the body of God, but then they would obstruct his face with some clouds or something. But then this guy named Michelangelo came on and, uh, along, and he was painting the Sistine Chapel, and he's up there, you know, and he paints God's face. And so you see God, God was this you know, older gentleman, Caucasian, he had long flowing hair, and it kind of became the default version of God in art for for thousands of years, or not thousands, but a long time, and most of the time you see people portraying God, he looked like this guy, this kind of this real serious looking uh, white guy with with a beard and hair. That That was God. That's what God is like. And I think probably in the backs of our minds, you know, somewhere way back there, we know that that's not exactly what he's like, but that's probably the popular notion, the popular conception, the default image uh, for all of us. What is God like? Now, uh, when I was growing up, I had a couple buddies that I, I remember staying with a couple different times in their backyard, uh, butted up against a neighbor's backyard. And the neighbor was your quintessential, stereotypical, grouchy old neighbor who didn't want any kids on his lawn. 
And there was a big high chain leak fence between my friend's yard and the neighbor's yard. And they had uh, told me lots of stories about how awful and how scary this neighbor was. Nobody was to go on his lawn. Nobody was to, was, don't even look at his lawn. Because he's at the window peeking through the blinds making sure that the kids aren't on his lawn. I remember we were playing, I don't know, baseball or throwing Frisbees around one time. And one of us, I don't remember who, probably me, threw a Frisbee. And it went over the fence and it landed on the neighbor's lawn. The scary neighbor, the grouchy old neighbor. And I'm like, well, that's it for that Frisbee. I guess we'll have to start saving up our pennies and we'll, we'll get another one. We'll never get that one back because it's on this forbidden lawn that you're not supposed to go over. And my buddies, who had told me all about the neighbor, said, well, hey, why don't you just run over there and get it? No, I'm not going to go get it. I've heard you tell about how horrible this neighbor is and how scary he is. There's a reason there's a big high fence between your house and the neighbor's house. No, just go over, just climb over real quick, grab it, climb over, you know. And I, I tried to fight, but I'm, uh, you know, I kind of succumbed to peer pressure. And I did. I climbed up over this fence. You know, this was the most, if you can just imagine adrenaline flowing through your body, your heart's racing, you're looking at, you're watching all the windows, you're just ready for that neighbor to come out with like a Rottweiler or a shotgun or whatever, and you're ready and like now it's go time and you feel like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible scrambling over the fence, running to retrieve the Frisbee. And I have this vivid memory of grabbing that Frisbee and the distance between myself and the fence, you know, must have been 30, 40 feet. And that was the longest stretch because I thought I was going to get shot in the back by this grouchy old neighbor. I had heard such terrible things. And there was a reason why he had a big tall fence. And there was a reason why his lawn was perfectly manicured and perfectly taken care of. And, and my neighbor's lawn had dandelions and all kinds of stuff. There was a reason why there was this sharp distinction between my, my, the grouchy neighbor and my friend's house. And I made it. I survived. I'm sure it wasn't nearly as bad as I remember it to be. And, and it dawned on me as I got finished retrieving this article that I had actually never met the neighbor. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know really whether he was mean or not. I had only heard what my friends had told me. He's the scary, grouchy old neighbor with the high fence. And I barely made it. What is God like? If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 19, verse 12. Exodus chapter 19, verse 12. This is Moses. He's about to get the commandments from on high from God. And God tells him before Moses ascends the mountain. He says, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or even touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. And you can't even like run up and and." Shoot them or whatever. You got to shoot them from a distance with an arrow. You can't even get close to the people that got close to the mountain. That's how different God is from you. And there's a big high fence between where God is and where you can be. Do not, not even a hand is to be laid on them. And this is the primary version of God that the Hebrew people had. What is God like? He's the scary guy on the mountain. And there's a big high fence. And you don't even get near the mountain. He's the scary presence in the Holy of Holies. And there's a big curtain. You don't even go anywhere near that curtain. The high priests who went into the curtain once a year, they would tie a rope around their leg just in case something happened while he was in there. Nobody could go in and get the dead body. So they would tie a rope. And if he died in there, they would drag him out. This is true. Because God was so scary and so different and so dangerous. God is holy, you are not. Don't get anywhere near God. And whether or not the Bible outlines it this way, it's essentially God is the grouchy old neighbor and he doesn't need any rotten neighbor kids getting on his lawn because it's perfectly manicured and it's just right. And we don't want any regular old people messing that up. 
God is perfect. There's a big high fence between us and God. What is God like? Is, is that what God is like? Now, I know most of you would be like, no, nah, that's, that's not the right. That's not quite right. But that's the idea that we have from Scripture and from other people. I didn't, nobody actually came out and set me down and said, Patrick, God is a scary old neighbor. But this is the default version that I had growing up, that God was scary. There was a big high fence between uh, me and him, and God was always looking to chase me off if I had done something wrong with Rottweilers or something worse. That's the default version that I had of God. What is God like? And here's why this question is important. Because our idea of God, and this is going to sound like I'm overreaching, but bear with me. Our idea of God impacts nearly everything that we do. Everything that you do has something to do with who you think God is. Because your idea of God, if you have a wrong idea of God, this is important. If you have a wrong idea of God, you either become apathetic because that God cannot be pleased, or that God does not care, or you become, you, you move down the spectrum toward being atheistic because I just can't believe in a God that's like that. If you have the wrong version of God, you become apathetic toward God, or you stop believing in God, much, less, or much of a version of God. You don't draw near to a grouchy neighbor version of God. You don't find hope and comfort in that God. You don't sense grace and mercy from that God. But maybe it's not the grouchy neighbor version that I kind of grew up with. Maybe it's God is sort of a, a cosmic Santa Claus for some people. And God's just like, when you need something, he's there. When you want something, he's there. I mean, he measures your badness and goodness. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And he knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake, right? That's, that's the, a lot of people's version of God, that God is up there on high and he's just watching and if you haven't been good, you're not gonna get your Christmas wish list and that's why you live in the house you do that doesn't have the 12 bedrooms. You only have two bedrooms, three bedrooms because you haven't been good enough and that's why you drive the car you do and that's why you have the health you do because you haven't been good enough and God has not blessed you because God is a cosmic Santa Claus and he hasn't blessed you because you haven't been good enough and he saw what you were thinking and he saw what you were doing. That's some people's version of God. It's not a God that we take seriously. That's not a God who, who, who looks for our obedience. That's not a God that we're too worried about our sin in the same way that we, we are if we have a correct version of God. Having a false image of God isn't just wrong, it's actually dangerous. It's actually dangerous to have a false version of God. Why do you think God spent so much time in the Old Testament telling people, don't make idols, don't have a false version of me, because when you have a false version of me, it leads you to do false things. Stop doing that. But I think today we don't have idols in our houses, we don't have idols in temples, but we have a false idea of God and it leads us to do false things. Now I know a lot of you just get into 16th century theologians, and especially you really dig into the, when they had conflict with one another, right? You really enjoy this kind of stuff, and I can tell. But there were two guys, a guy named John Wesley and John Calvin, and they had a beef because they didn't like the way that the other portrayed God. And John Wesley told John Calvin, or said about John Calvin, he said, your version of God is worse than the devil. Now that is old school smack talk right there. That is intense stuff. Your version of God is worse than the devil. Why would he say something like that? Because he was saying that your conception of God that you're promoting out in the world, the way it makes people live, the things that it makes people do is wrong and it leads people away from God. So you can see that it's not just that we should have a good idea of God to have a good idea of God. Having a false idea of God is actually dangerous. It's actually bad for us. It leads us to do uh, things that we shouldn't, that God doesn't want us to do. It leads us to be worried about things that God is not worried about. 
You ever run into this? You ever met another believer who seems to have a pretty different idea of God than you do? And the things that it leads them to do, maybe their version of God is really preoccupied with what you feel are some insignificant details in life. And their version of God is really into those things. And that's the most important thing in their idea of God. Or maybe you've met someone who has a version of God that just absolutely does not care about sin. And they're out just going crazy. And they're like, ah, God loves me. Yeah, but God loves you doing good too. That's a, that's a thing. Some people believe that God only blesses certain people from certain places. And so it leads them to treat other people from other places without care and regard because their version of God is wrong and it affects their life. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1 is the passage that we've been in throughout the series, but he just says some really big things and he says it in a short period of time, but he's cramming a lot of good stuff in there. And he says in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is, this is God. This is the word. This is the eternal uh, word of God. Made, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. So John sits down to write out, you guys want to know what this God was like? This is what this God was like. We've seen him. We saw his glory. He was full of grace and truth. In verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. This guy, this Jesus, has made God known. He has made God known. Listen. This is not going to sound like a big deal right now, but I'm hoping as we unravel what we're talking about, it becomes a really big deal. But the very best, the absolute best idea that you can get of what God is like is Jesus. The absolute best version that you can understand of God is Jesus Christ. That's the absolute clearest picture that you can get of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He told one of his apostles, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So, there's a lot of important implications to this. But this is, Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Exactly what God is like. Uh, Sometimes you'll watch a commercial on TV for a better TV. Have you ever seen that? You're watching a commercial on your old 13 dusty tube whatever TV. And it's advertising like a 4K HD giant, you know. And then it shows you images on your screen of that screen as if that's going to help because you're watching on your old goodwill, you know, borrowed whatever from back in the day. That's what you're watching on. So you're getting this like crystal clear picture that's being projected through the airwaves and it's coming up on your screen and you're seeing, you know, whatever. For, this is not to, to tell on my parents, but my parents do not care that much about technology. And every once in a while, like the, for years and years... How many of you, when I say the phrase Commodore 64, you guys know what that is? Some of you know what that is. All right, Commodore 64 was like back in the Stone Age when they invented computers. They were like, this is what we came up with. It was a Commodore 64. This is what I grew up with, a Commodore 64, playing all these games on Commodore 64. And I, this is, some of you, I should have had a picture. But Commodores came with this little screen about like this, about like that big. And it's no wonder my parents wear glasses because for decades... 
that's what they were watching movies on, like the Andy Griffith show. And you're like, you don't even know what these people look like because the screen is that big. It's like that big. And they used it for years and years. And I bought my dad a brand new, you know, flat screen TV so he could get it all. You know, that's what Andy Griffith looks like. Oh, that's what Columbo looks like. Matlock. I didn't realize he was an old guy. Whoa, this is amazing. I had no idea. And, you know, I bought it. I set it up. And my dad didn't like it, and he went right back to his old tube thing. You still have that, Commodore 6? Yep, he still has it. It's going to be worth a lot of money someday. It's going to be worth something. But you can't get an idea of what the better thing is when you're watching it on the worst thing. It doesn't really help you to see through the lens of the thing that is not as good in order to see the thing that is better, right? We can't see that. Now, the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, it is doing the best job that it can of giving us this idea of who God is. But Jesus came along, and he is an upgrade. The Old Testament is a Commodore 64 13-inch screen, and Jesus is 4K 90-inch HD, and we see everything with crystal clear clarity. We see God in a crystal clear vision of God. And when we look back to the Old Testament, we say, well, but the Old Testament says this. You're looking through a Commodore 64. There is an upgrade. And we want to get our ideas of God simply out of the Old Testament. Does it mean the Old Testament is wrong? No. It means the Old Testament is limited. And we see an unlimited version of God through the scriptures, through the gospels, through Jesus Christ. Now this is really important. This is really important. My, uh, Foster daughter is 18 months, and she has a handful of words. She can understand what you're saying. She can only communicate with a handful of words, and she can say yes or yeah, really. She says yeah, and she shakes her head no. That's about it. She doesn't say no. She just shakes her head no. It's yeah and no. She also loves to grab small things that can be hidden but that are really important. And so every once in a while, you can't find your keys, and you're like, oh, no. She got my keys. And so you go through this process of trying to have this 18-month-old help you track down where she hid your keys. And you're like, all right, sweetie, uh, did you put them in the toilet? Yeah. But she didn't necessarily put them in the toilet. She's just acknowledging that you're interacting with her. Okay, honey, the remote control, we cannot find it. Did you put it down the vent again? It's down the vent. Yeah. You know, and she's trying, and she's trying to give you the information that you want, but it's limited. It's limited. The Old Testament is a limited vision of God. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, through Christ, we see a perfect vision of God. So listen. If we have an idea of God that doesn't seem like this is Christ or doesn't seem like Christ would do this or doesn't seem like Christ would say this, then that idea is false. This is important, church. If we have an idea of God and we don't believe that matches up with our idea of God through Christ, that idea is false. But you're saying, I got my idea from the Old Testament. That's wonderful. Do you know that the Old Testament has, there's an upgrade. And you can see with crystal clear clarity of who God is through Jesus Christ. Trying to learn what God is like without Christ is like trying to find my keys with my 18-month-old daughter. Trying to learn what God is like just using the Old Testament is like trying to watch this huge HD special effects extravaganza on a 13-inch Commodore 64 screen. You'll be able to get the gist of it, 
but you won't see exactly what God is leading you to. And this is important. When you read the old law, the Old Testament, trying to learn about God, you have to keep in mind that even, even the New Testament author said this was a shadow. You're seeing a shadow. You're seeing, it's like, just imagine this. Just imagine that you're watching, uh, you want to watch a movie, right? Uh, but you can't sit in the living room. You've got to sit somewhere else and you've got to have someone else describe what the movie is like. That's not the same thing as watching the movie. Now we're getting a description of God through the Old Testament, but in the New Testament through Christ, we're seeing the exact representation of his being. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, and he is the exact representation of his being. Okay, some theology there. Why is this important? Why does this matter? Because if you have a high fence, grouchy old neighbor view of God, that is a false God. This is a big deal. But you're saying, well, I, but God does, I read about that in the Old Testament. Jesus came along and gave us a clearer version of who God is. A clearer vision for who God is. This is huge. This is so important. Because remember, our idea of God impacts nearly everything that we do. And if we're looking at an old Commodore 64 version of God, that's going to impact what we do. Because we have something better. We have something better in Christ. This is huge. Uh, if our idea of God doesn't look like Jesus, it's wrong. If we're promoting an idea of God that to other people that doesn't look like Jesus, it's wrong. If we're following an idea of God that doesn't look like Jesus, it's wrong. So our question is, what is God like? God's like Jesus. What do we learn about God from that fact? I mean, I think most of us would have agreed with that before I preached the first part of this sermon. What is it, what, what is that, how does that help us? Maybe the question should be, what do we learn about God through Jesus that wasn't clear in the other ways that we've learned about God? There's this consistent theme over and over in the Gospels. If you just kind of sit down and read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll begin to see this drawn out. And, and, and they didn't see it as clearly in the Old Testament. They didn't. The Pharisees who were trying really hard to follow God just didn't see this nearly as clearly as, as we do in Christ. See, there was supposed to be a high fence between God and sinners. There was supposed to be a big keep out sign. Maybe a little electric fence running along. Maybe some razor wire. Maybe some Rottweilers and some guards. There was supposed to be a high fence between God and sinners. There was a do not cross line between where God was and sinners was. That's the way people thought about it. But over and over and over in scripture, you see Jesus not acting like there's no fence at all. You see Jesus going up to a woman at the well and someone he shouldn't have been talking to, his apostles were like, why are you talking to that lady? Someone who had had five different men and the guy she was with now wasn't her husband. And here is Jesus just interacting with her as if God just talks to sinners like it's no big deal. Over and over through scripture, you see people who were sinful and their sin, was an, their sin had been expressed in their diseases. That's what they thought at least. They thought people got leprosy because you were immoral. They thought people that got sick were immoral. They thought people that were homeless were immoral. And so if those things were happening to you, it's because you're bad and God doesn't like you. There's a high fence. And Jesus would go up to these lepers and he would touch them. That's unclean, God. He would just touch them. And he's saying, this is what God is like. There was a woman caught in the act of adultery, and she's dragged before Jesus. And there's supposed to be a high fence between people caught in the act of adultery and Jesus. There's supposed to be a big line of demarcation. There's supposed to be a de demilitarized zone like northern South Korea where you do not cross that line. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's 
God. What is God like? God is like Jesus. Does Jesus act like there's a big fence between himself and the people around him? Absolutely not. Is it because he doesn't take sin seriously? No. It's because he's already dealt with sin. And this is a big deal. He's already dealt, not that our sin doesn't matter, but he's already dealt with it. He tore down the fence between us and himself. And now we're ready to go. We can play on his lawn. This is good. This is good news. No wonder when the angels came to the shepherds, they said, hey, you know what? I bring you good news of great joy. When we hear the gospel, we're like, well, whatever, that's good. I've heard that all my life. No, it was good news of great joy. Why? Because there was no fence anymore. We could play in the lawn. This is good stuff. This matters. This matters to the way that we live, the way that the things that we do. There's supposed to be a big tall fence between God and sinners like tax collectors. And Jesus sees the worst tax collector of all in a tree and says, hey, can I come over for lunch? That's not what God's supposed to do. That's not our Commodore 64 version of God. Our version of God in Christ has been upgraded. We know what God's like. He's hanging out with sinners. He's touching the sick. And in fact, when he sits down and he tries to explain, he's like, gather around everybody. I want to tell you exactly what God is like. I want to tell you exactly what God is like. And this is the stuff that he says. He says things like, you know what God's like? God's like a shepherd. And he is chasing after the one lost sheep. Well, what do I matter? There's a lot of other people, God, that are doing so much better than I. They're still staying in the sheepfold. I'm off. What does God care about me? No, God cares about you. He noticed that you were missing. And he left the others to go chase after you. When God's describing, or Jesus is describing God, he describes God as a woman who has lost a coin. And she turns her house upside down looking for that coin. And then when she finds the coin, she throws a party. Because she says, I found the coin. Probably spent all the money she just found on this big old party. Because she's so excited that she found this thing that she'd been longing for. Probably the, the best known story of the three is God describes, or Jesus describes God as a father who has a son that is completely a, just a deadbeat, good for nothing, horrible person. And the son ditches his family, is faithless to his family, and runs off and just does whatever he wants to do. And God says, or Jesus says, God is like a father who is standing at the end of the driveway every day, longing for his son to come home. And when he finally sees him, God is running after his son. If we have an idea of God, that God, there's some big high fence between humanity and God, that is a false God. That is a wrong version of God. And Jesus came to dispel that myth. This is so important. Listen, God isn't chasing off sinful people. God is chasing after sinful people. If the church is chasing off sinful people, we're doing it wrong. The church needs to be chasing after sinful people. If we're worried about people who are going to come into our midst because they're doing things that we're uncomfortable with or we're not sure, we are doing it wrong. We are not representing God faithfully as Jesus Christ would. We have to be chasing after sinful people. But the good news, good news for us is, is we are those people that God is chasing after. That's us. That's us. You and I, we are the ones, well, I'm not as bad as that prodigal son. Doesn't matter. We're all kind of in this same bad bucket, right? We're all bad and God is chasing after us. And so if you felt like, well, I'm distant from God. It's not God's fault. 
because he's left the sheep to find you. If you feel like, well, I don't know what to do because I just feel like God doesn't care about me. It's not God because he has been turning his house upside down to find you. If you feel like, well, I don't know. I mean, what would God want to have to do with me? I've just messed up my life so much. God is standing at the end of the driveway looking for you constantly, just overjoyed if you would ever show your face up over the horizon. He would chase after you. That's the version of God that we see in Christ. The most holy, the thunder on the mountain, is just interacting with the most unholy. Just living among the most unholy. That's God. That's the God that we see in Christ. If we have a vision of Jesus that is different than that, it's wrong. Now let me tell you, the people with whom Jesus interacted... They saw that vision of God through Jesus. No wonder they were compelled by him, right? I mean, they had been told all their lives that they were worthless, that their, their mistakes were just too much to overcome, that they, didn't, they weren't included, that they were on the outside, that they were on the margins. And Jesus came along and said, no, actually, I will eat with you. I will, I will hang out. We'll spend time together. And I'm God, by the way. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me? If we have a vision of God that doesn't look like Jesus, we have a false God. Now that may till up some soil that you thought had been settled in your life and you thought, no, I've got God figured out and what you're saying isn't quite what I figured out. I challenge you to think about what we're talking about and to think about what might change about your life if you had a clearer vision of who God really is. No wonder people were compelled to follow Jesus. No wonder people were captivated by Jesus because through Jesus, they saw God for who he really was. We're going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful to be able to just gather together and to think about who you are, Lord. And there's some fundamental truths sometimes that we just, we just miss the point. God, it's not because we're, we're not trying, but it's just because we just let other things kind of get in the way. And so, Lord, I pray that today as we as are a church that is just deeply, immensely focused on Christ, that you would clear away all the other versions of God that may have piled up over the years. Maybe it was some well-meaning teacher or preacher who just gave us this idea of God that is different than what we see in Jesus. And so I pray that you'd strip those away. And I pray that we as a church body, we would not only be compelled to follow uh, you, but we would be compelled to follow the version of you that we see in Jesus Christ. And that because of that, we would draw other people into relationship with you as well. We thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.